HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink. For more information, visit mofad.org. Hi, this is Celia Kutcher, host of Animal Instinct, and you are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum from the Brooklyn Kitchen, a cooking store located at 100 Frost Street in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Join me every Wednesday as I talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. Please take a moment to like the show on iTunes, and please reach out to me if you have any questions. You can reach me via email, harry at thebrooklynkitchen.com, and you can follow me on social media at thefoodballer. Today's episode number 42 and I'm joined in the studio today by Bill Reed, who is the owner of Humboldt & Jackson here in Williamsburg, which is a uh, wine uh, bar. They serve whiskey, beer, wine, all American-focused. Uh, small plates, and then they have an event space and uh, hopefully soon a more full sort of restaurant-style space in the back. Thanks for joining me, Bill. Yeah, thanks, Harry. So, uh, so Bill, often when I have people on the show, um, I ask them to describe what they do. Um, but, you know, I feel like I could probably describe what you do. I'm also yeah. a small business owner. It means you're probably some days a plumber. Some days you run the cash register. You're sometimes a bartender. You cook the food. You clean the floor. You fix the sidewalk. All those things, right? Yes. <laughs> so yes. I wanted to start off today instead um, to say if you could have any job, what would it be? If I could have any job, what would it be? I would be a talent scout. I would love to go to uh, elementary, middle schools and find young, promising um, actors, dancers, and help them reach some really you know, performing arts goals. That that would be really cool for me. Um, it'd probably pay me the same as well as owning my own business. <laughs> right, so. right. That would be Which is to say, not great. Yes, yeah. it's just enough. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, interesting. Do you have a Do you have an arts background? Um, not really. I grew up in a big family in Philadelphia. Um, one of six kids, three boys, three girls, and our job was to stay out of trouble and entertain. Hmm. So either what that was telling jokes or getting together and creating dance moves uh, for family parties. Uh, we were always either in a corner. 
or on stage hmm. uh, through fr- friends and family. And then later in life, I, I decided to take that one step further and actually pursue dancing as a, a small career path, which once I got to New York with it, I realized, wow, I may be good in my hometown, but wow, these people want it a lot more than me. Hmm. So, yeah. so yeah, small, small fish, big pond. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, well, those of you who uh, are interested in seeing some of Bill's dancing, <laughs> uh, definitely you can, you, I would, uh, I would definitely follow, uh, follow Bill on Instagram at Humboldt and Jackson all spelled out. Uh, is the is the Instagram feed for the for the bar restaurant? Yeah, and the hashtag is Chef Dance Battles. Yeah, and it was a little fun thing that started between me and my youngest brother, who's also a chef and dancer, and we started to uh, kind of do um, Skype slash uh, Facebook slash Instagram videos of us battling each other uh, for shites and giggles, um, which turned into other bars getting in, and then hopefully. You know, I keep bothering the Ellen show, but she will not respond. Oh, man. Unfortunately. So maybe this radio plug yeah, will, right. will convince her that, you know, we're serious. Right. Have you had any... So so all of the, the chef... Chef... What is the dance hashtag? Chef, chef dance battles. All of those have been via social media or have yeah. they been in person? Uh, one has been in person. I drove to Philadelphia on a whim and uh, attacked my youngest brother in front of his cooks, uh, pulled up to the... Uh, restaurant, the Blue Duck, which is located in Northeast Philadelphia. It's an amazing spot, uh, serving American fare. And he's uh, he's about two years in um, in cooking there. But um, you know, kind of trash talking led to me making a drive uh, mainly for cheesesteaks. And then I said I pull over, turn the music up in the car, open the car doors, and invite him outside in front of all of his friends to dance. Um, he didn't dance, which became the dance videos. Um, which we have like six or seven now between me and him and then a couple other sports bars. And anybody who's in the restaurant business that represents a restaurant can take part at um, the hashtag Chef Battles, uh, Chef Dance Battles. Cool. Well, I definitely I'll, I'll check it. I didn't realize it had gone quite so deep. I've, yeah. I've seen your posts, but I don't follow the other people. Yeah. So I'll have to check out the hashtag yeah. and, it's fun. and look into it. So uh, so out of the so, so you and your brother are both in restaurants. How did you end up in restaurants as a career? Um, long story short, um, me and my wife moved here, uh, about 12 years ago to New York city for her to follow a fashion career path. I was teaching dance and, um, working for a dance company out of Philadelphia and I didn't have a job in New York. Um, we decided to move into Staten Island being our first choice cause it was closest to Philly hmm. cause that's where I would commute back to, um, on the weekends to, to still create um, some finances for ourselves. My wife had an unpaid internship uh, here in New York working in the fashion business. Um, slowly that drive back and forth didn't make sense financially. And I said, okay, well, I'm in New York. What am I going to do? Um, my mom was a 40-year waitress. Um, so hospitality was always in our blood and our family. We owned a small business in Philadelphia, little, uh, little chain of Dunkin' Donuts, Baskin-Robbins. Hmm. Um, and so... The whole family worked there at one point. Um, so that's really where you got your start. Yeah, I think I think being behind the counter with family was very, you know, it was it's easier to connect with people because you're confident in who you're working with, and, and right. you know, no one can call out sick because you know where your brother is sleeping. Right. Um, but then when I got to New York, I realized I needed to either make some money or or, or leave New York, um, and I started to work in the restaurant business. Um, 
as a porter first in a restaurant in Staten Island and then kind of grew and then long story short uh now having my own place yeah so so you uh so you came up sort of in the in the in the business but in in an aspect of it where it wasn't uh wasn't a sit down it was really a takeout right quick yeah quick turnaround um you know type of customer service and then you know i think we first met when you were uh involved with the brooklyn star yeah um right down the street from your original location the brooklyn kitchen right on lormer and skillman which is epic i was like this is actually your original location Lormer Market and Setapani reminded me a lot of where we were living in Philadelphia where everything was walkable, accessible and if you needed this or you needed that you didn't have to go too far you can just you know put on your shoes and and get there right and uh, and then you know through through a number of different different routes you've come to now have Humboldt and Jackson. So, yeah. So tell us a little bit about Humboldt and Jackson and sort yeah. of what you know what people find there when they come in the door. Yeah. Well, Humboldt and Jackson is definitely neighborhood focused. We're kind of off the beaten path as close as we are to Graham Avenue, which is, is which is becoming a little metropolitan area for food and beverage. Um, we've seen it grow dramatically. Um, Humboldt and Jackson is essentially an American tasting room. We don't want to be labeled as a bar. Um, because our menu changes so much. We have a 30-seat bar area um, where we have tasting portions of different styles of, of food that pair with all of our drinks. So our drinks come first and our food menu comes second. Um, and then we have a 55-seat area in the back, which we use just for one-off events or residencies. Um, soon to be more, like you said, full, full kitchen service because we're seeing that people really love the food and they want to eat. So we're trying to provide that that niche, which isn't back in that area where we're just mainly housing. Um, yeah, it's it's s- strictly domestic. We work with everybody uh, from your local charcuterie makers um, to f- to fishmongers, and we try to put the freshest product out there and turn the menu over weekly. So our menu is consistently changing. We have our staples, but uh, the whole thing about buying, and this is why uh, you know beverage uh, sales reps hate us is because we only buy very limited amounts at one time. So they want us to buy five cases. They want to buy three cases and we buy a case or six bottles and they scratch their head and they're like, why? Uh, it's, it's a hard job for us to maintain that, but we think that our regular customers, which is our very neighborhood focused group, um, likes the fact that they come in and they don't know what to expect, right. whether that's we're just doing a wine and beer pairing that night or a whiskey and port pairing that night. Um, and then all of a sudden we have like a Burmese noodle pop-up or a ramen pop-up or, you know, a community gathering of sorts. So that's kind of what we're focused on. Yeah. I mean, I think in, in my experience and in, in, in going in there, it's the kind of place where you know the kind of service you're going to get and you know that the person behind the bar is going to be able to suggest or suggest something to your tastes if you want a specific type of drink or if you prefer wine, if beer, whiskey, cocktail, but that there, the opportunity and what you guys do really well is to sort of expand on that and say, you know, here we're going to throw something out there that you wouldn't have thought you were going to find or that wasn't here yesterday. Right. And whether that's in a wine that you only have six bottles of or whether right. that's in having Burmese noodles right. next to American whiskey. Yeah. I yeah, think that's really perfect good. pairings is kind of what we're all about. We wrap our head around it. Me, me and my partner, Sam Naid, who's a professional psalm. He's been my friend for the past 10 years. Um, we started together at a, at a restaurant in Manhattan called uh, the Olive Tree, which is associated with Comedy Cellar uh, Comedy Club. And we started there. That was my first real restaurant uh, bar job in Manhattan. Um, 
it whipped us into shape very quickly. We learned that we really could get along together and, and work a big room if it was just me and him. So those things combined, when I had the opportunity to grab somebody to kind of help me build this from the ground up, um, it was him and my wife. That, mm. was, that was the team. And Humboldt and Jackson exists in a space that for a long time yeah. was a neighborhood stalwart catering hall. Yes. It seemed like a funeral parlor from the yep, outside. For sure. I remember I've been walking past that place for like 15 Everybody years. Everybody says that. Yeah. <laughs> 65 years it was there. It was family owned and operated from the grandmother all the way down to the granddaughter. They did Italian catering, you know, 1995, buffet style, uh, red Carlo Rossi. They did not have a public open bar. So that's one thing that we had to change through uh, the community board in the city um, because catering halls uh, tend to stay catering halls or change to sneaker stores. They don't. It's hard to kind of keep that atmosphere going. Um, but Miss Joanne and, and her and her husband uh, really took a liking to us. They were regulars at the Brooklyn Star Restaurant. And then once once we kind of – I went to one of their events in, at Chris, in Christmas. I was a Frankie Valley impersonator. <laughs> <laughs> and I brought a group of 10 of us and I said, and it was, you know, carpeted and Italian tiles. And I said, wow, this is very much like where we grew up in Philly, where mm. like South Philadelphia, Italian based, you know, get it while you can. If you didn't grab two plates, you're probably really only going to eat one. Um, we kind of wanted to keep that catering vibe. That's why we didn't open up with like a chef forward restaurant. We kind of wanted to keep it open to grow. So that's kind of where we're at. Yeah. And, you know, we've had some great events there. We had a Brooklyn yeah. Kitchen staff uh, staff party there, and I've, yeah. been to, I've been to some great events. The Meat Hook has thrown a couple of uh, yeah. big beefsteak dinners oh, yeah. there. Annual beefsteak. Yeah. Be back in October. Can't awesome. Wait. Yeah. So there's a lot of there's a lot of good good events to sort of look out for there. Um, how much of, of what you do in at Humboldt and Jackson is informed by, you know, your experiences as a kid in that kind of service mindset of serving customers quickly, um, I guess, and, and to sort of expand on that question, um, you know, are there things you feel like you learned growing up in a, in a family of six children yeah. that inform the work that you do now? Right. Well, the main thing I learned about the family to restaurant connection is that everybody needs attention. Um, whether that be a party of six with one customer that just really didn't want to make it out to the restaurant tonight, but they got drugged there by their sister, you have to make sure that they have a good time as well. Uh, you got to turn every table around and let them understand what you do. Some tables want to be talked to. Some tables want to know what you're doing on your menu and kind of the vibe that you're putting out, especially if it's their first time there. Uh, because when people come to our place, I don't know if they're so sure what we do. And that's the goal. As long as it stays that way, I think people are interested and they'll come back. Once you kind of label yourself as this is what we do, we do steak and chops and we play this style of music and we're open these hours, I think people, you know, direct themselves to you or away from you. So for us, keeping that minimal approach to you never know what's going to happen. You may come in thinking you're going to get wine and cheese and all of a sudden, you know, you're getting a big steak in front of you because we have the meat hook there um, really, really drives us. Um, as far as the casual but knowledgeable service, we try to portray it's it really comes down to our staff i mean you have five people that work there and three are owners um we just hired uh, a really awesome um sous chef uh annie uh who came from blue hill and who also worked at dos caminos for years so she's really helping us kind of refine some things um but working with a traveling crew of chefs um who work at their own restaurants 
um, or are kind of those chefs that kind of just parlay and do one-off things. It really keeps our menu interesting, keeps us interested because, the, you know, as you know, owning your own business, there's a lot of things that can really just pull you back and drag you down and be like, okay, let's keep reordering that or yep. let's keep... So this is one thing, I think, that relates to our customers and giving that attention, not just picking up a fork when it drops on the ground, but making sure that they understand what we do, yeah. making sure that if they're scared to pronounce a wine because they don't know it, um, let's make sure they feel comfortable when they leave. So that's Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the, the point, the real takeaway for me about what you just said is, you know, people do get it in their brain. Oh, I want a steak tonight. And they think of, oh, where's the place to go for steak? And if you're labeled that steak place, you need all those people every night. There needs to be enough people who are saying, I want a steak. Correct. But if you're a place where people identify the experience, right. then it doesn't really matter. Right. If people are like, oh, I want to meet my friend for a drink and a bite, where are we going to go? Right. That becomes a much wider thing right. than being the place for steak. Yes. And it's very, I would say our place is, very safe to do all those things. Yep. It's safe to bring a, a you know a blind date all the way up until like your kids coming. We have you know fifteen high chairs now because we know oh, wow. as new parents what we can get ourselves into when we say we're having an unlimited Mother's Day brunch. <laughs> we we are we are begging <laughs> strollers to come in and we have to have a place for them not only to be stored yep. but to be accessible. Yep. I mean, on that note, I think the, the first time I came in there with my kids, I mean, Moxie didn't even want to sit with us. She sat at the bar. Yeah, I remember that. And I was like, ooh, this is kind of semi-New York illegal. However, yeah. it's Moxie and, yeah. and Terry and Taylor. And, like, let's just give her the shot of pickle juice. Right. <laughs> Why not? Well, on that note, we're going to take a short break and hear from uh, our sponsor here. And uh, when we come back, I think we'll talk a little more about Philly. Cool. This one's called Pianissimo Short by Talkstar. Hi, this is Peter Kim, the executive director of MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink. We're a nonprofit founded by Dave Arnold, the host of Cooking Issues here on the Heritage Radio Network. And we want to take people on a learning adventure through the world of food. We just opened MOFAD Lab, our gallery space at 62 Bayard Street in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, where we are currently showing flavor, making it and faking it. Flavor features some very cool sensory interaction. Flavor tablets deliver tastings of vanilla and umami, and the Willy Wonka-inspired smell synth lets you compose over half a million different flavors. So come on by and visit MoFad Lab. We're open five days a week, and tickets are $5 for kids and $10 for adults. Learn more about the Museum of Food and Drink at MoFad.org. Welcome back to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum from the Brooklyn Kitchen, and uh, in the studio with me today is Bill Reed from Humboldt and Jackson. Uh, during the break there, uh, Bill and I were just talking. We're both dads, and we were talking a little bit about uh, <laughs> kids and kids and eating. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so, does uh, so your daughter Mella? Uh, does she uh, 
does she eat the stuff that comes out of the kitchen? Does she like it? Does she yes, not like it? She does. Um, she doesn't like tomatoes. All right. That seems to be the only thing that really drags her down, where she won't eat anything on the plate if there's a red little spot of a tomato. Uh, besides from that, she's a really great eater. I think she has her mom's palate, because I didn't really eat a wide array of foods until, I would say, midway through me and my wife's relationship. Um, and we started dating in freshman year in high school. So I'm talking like freshman year in college, I was like, okay, I sat across from you while you ate that bowl of pho for years. I'm going to try it now. <laughs> and, and then it changed my mind and then my palate opened up and that's where my love for food came through my wife's mm. uh, experiences because she, she, she was well-traveled and ate a lot of different things early in her life. My family was very much, my mom was a waitress um, and my dad was at work during the day. He's a horse breeder. So like... We fend for ourselves. My mom would have, you know, the, the hungry man microwavable dinners. And, like, when she did cook on Saturdays and Sundays, it would be pasta and, 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 and meatballs. It wouldn't – there was never anything that was, like, eccentric or, like, different. Sure. So now from our experiences, me and my sister who were in the restaurant business and my brother, like, she's trying to kind of step into – Look what I made. Look what I did. Oh, your mom is. Yeah, cool. she's really trying to impress us when we come to town. <laughs> and we're like, okay, let's just order out. Right. Yeah. Well, sure. I mean, and, and I have to imagine, you know, there's as as you get older, you think back on what you had as a kid, right? So you, you probably go home to see your mom and you want pasta with meatballs. Yeah. Right? Because that's the, like, going I home I want her thing. famous taco pizza. Yeah. Her taco pizza is by far the worst thing anybody's ever <laughs> ate. But to us kids, it's the best thing we've ever had. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. definitely, a, that was a that was a favorite. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so Philly uh, obviously has some good food traditions yeah. going on. Yeah, down for there. sure, it's definitely made a turn. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's a there's a there's a there's a longstanding you know vibrant food scene. So also very Italian, right? Like yeah. Williamsburg, for sure. Um, places like De Bruno's. Yeah. Um, De Bruno Brothers is great. Been there for been there forever. And then of course Philly's known for its cheesesteaks. Right. Right. And there's a big you know as I understand it having known some people from Philly, there's a big sort of, you know, you're, you're, you have a, a, a cheesesteak that you are allied with. Right. right? It's, so it's for, like a neighborhood stamp. So who's that for you? Steve's right. Prince of Steaks. All right. Now that was located less than three blocks from our house. So we stood by that no matter what. It's a, it's a sliced thin round eye steak. It's not chopped. It's on the same Philadelphia Amoroso rolls, um, melted American cheese with, not with, uh, fried onions so if you order it wrong you go to the back of the line very similar uh, they know when outsiders are there uh, they respect the business but they want you to understand the product so i think that's very much what philly is about is like do you know where you are do you know who's feeding you and do you do you respect that as much as you respect the food and uh, I mean, so I've spent a lot of time, uh, every time I go somewhere, I try to, you know, investigate the regional foods and some of those things travel better than others. Oh, right? yeah, of course. Um, so, I mean, is it possible if you are in Philly to get a cheesesteak from Steve's and bring it to New York and eat it? Or yes. no, you have to eat it in a certain amount of time or does it, does it travel? No, I mean, I mean, cheese whiz, when people get the cheese whiz steaks, they, they don't last. Uh, that, that whiz, that, that style of cheese really congeals and it doesn't really lend itself to like reheating. Um, however, the American cheese, uh, the soft, warm cheese that can heat back up. The idea is that you wrap that steak back up in an aluminum foil, throw it in the oven at like 200 for like 10, 15 minutes, and then take the aluminum foil off and then move the meat around and let it finish um, just as the oven's shutting down. Um, that's your best bet. Um, and then load it up with anything that you'd like from pickles to ketchup to, you know, hot peppers is my favorite. 
Have you guys ever served a cheesesteak at Humboldt and Jack? Never. No. No, I would never do that. I would never do that. Even though I did have dreams uh, when I first started to run other restaurants of opening up a mock Philly cheesesteak spot called Philly Mignon. And it would be a <laughs> Philly cheesesteak place only using filet mignon. Which when I, draw, when I brought the business plan to my friend, he said, you will be closed before you open. <laughs> Um, so we're not gonna we're not gonna revisit that plan anytime soon. You know, soon. I don't know. Guys, American Bar in Times Square seems to still be going. It, do, it does that, well. I mean, that sounds way worse to me than a place. Called. Well, just well, just yeah. Well, just the <laughs> this the idea of having only fillet to sell on a bread roll with sure. cheese. I mean, you'd have to charge X amount of dollars. That if you didn't have the people lined up, you would close. But don't you think you could have that as your like signature top line dish, and then have other stuff too? No. <laughs> I would not want that. It would be a Philly mignon cheesesteak. All right, all right. Well, maybe maybe the dream has died, Harry. Don't 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 try. That, that, I mean, listen. I, I <laughs> some some ideas. I mean, yeah. there are lots of ideas. Yeah. Not all of them are great. Of right? course, and you have course. to just let the let the ones go that you don't really. That you of don't course. Really want. Um, so as a, as a fellow business owner, yeah. um, you know, I was thinking about it on the way over here and, you know, we both, like I said, we're dads, we own businesses, we do all these different things. And something I've been thinking a lot about recently is how, you know, how do you plan your day? Right. And also with eating, right? I mean, like it's, we got to feed ourselves right? and it's something I think about a lot and I feel like I don't, I don't have it dialed in. So I'm curious to hear from you, like, how do you plan your day as a business owner? And your day obviously is different than mine. Your business isn't mine opens at 10 AM. Yours opens later in the day, yeah. things like that. But how do you plan out your day? Um, I think the night before I try to visualize what my daughter would want to do in the morning. And if it's a school day, uh, we are walking our child to school. And then um, I come back to Humboldt and Jackson, sit there with a pen and paper and write down things that I have to get done throughout the working week and then circle things that actually have to get done today. And if they don't get done today, my lights won't be on or I'll get reported to the SLA for late liquor uh, bill. Those things have to get done. And what I want to get done uh, can float around for another few days. And I've tried to prioritize that. Also, I rely heavily on my wife who is like the bookkeeper slash keeping me focused on my own list, uh, which is like, did you take a picture of your list? You might lose your list. Is it in your fifth pocket? I don't know where your list is. And I live and die by the, by the notepad that I, that I have. And like I said, when we first opened the Brooklyn Star, my list was dramatically long, four or five pages, and I would beat myself up that fact that I couldn't get everything done in a day. And that was pre, pre-child uh, one. Now that I'm working on the second child, um, my list is shrunk to specifically dues that have to get done, not floating ideas like, oh, I want to do a burrata pizza idea for the Friday night thing. Let's, right. let's not worry about that. Let's worry about... Mella's school payment, keeping the gas on, yep. and, and and planning for that big delivery that's coming in, and how am I going to get it all put away by myself? And then you know, of course, that with a you know with a kid, every day something new can come yep. up. You can have the whatever plans you want. Get a call, woke, get a call woke, at noon. Uh, Mella's not feeling too good, yep. and as a parent. What are you going to do? You got to pick her up. Yeah. There's no like, well, can you hold on to her for a few more hours? <laughs> you know, that doesn't work. <laughs> so then, like I said, those circled things still have to happen. Of course. Um, but the other things that are floating or ideas you may have that want to get done, they can wait. Yep. I mean, all those things have to wait. Do you, uh, do you hope that Mella follows you into the, into the business? Like, do you want? I do. Know, I mean, I mean, I, I think that her personality already lends itself to 
being hospitable. Yeah. Um, and she does help me set up the restaurant from time to time. Obviously, she's three and a half, so yeah. her, you know, her switch turns at any given moment from yeah. like helping me take down a chair <laughs> to being like, okay, I'm done. Yeah. And I'm like, well, we only did one chair. We have 70 <laughs> more to go. I know I'm not paying you, but daddy needs help. Yeah, um, yeah I think that she, I, I think that she would be good at it, but also. You know, like you said earlier, she has a lot of dance moves. She she really, it's really hysterical how um, I. It's not like I teach her. I mean, we dance together. We have our time every night where she likes to throw on the record player and just nice. go at it. Um, but she's a she's she's very uh, rhythmic. Yeah, which is it's kind of scary. The job of a dad is supposed to keep your daughter off the pole. <laughs> However, I think she'd be a great erotic dancer in the way that she moves. So, I mean, you know, listen, careers come together in, in weird hey. ways. You know, I mean, if she goes into the family business, you know, someday maybe she'll be serving Moxie across the bar. Yeah, you know? that'd be great. We know that she'll be sitting in that bar seat. <laughs> exactly. She totally will. Uh, so you said that uh, you mentioned pho earlier. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you said it was something that you came to, you know, came to sort of later in, later in life as a food. But you, you told me on my pre-show questionnaire that that's the one thing you would like to have for the rest of your life if you could only have one food. Yes. Because you can make it taste different every time by sounds- adding your own element of what you feel. Do you want it spicy? Do you want more lime? Do you want any Thai basil? Do you want sriracha? Do you want plum sauce? No, I'm not really feeling plum sauce. Or I don't want to put it in the soup. I want it on the side today. Um, we have a place in Philly that we grew up on called Faux 75. They have two in Philadelphia and one in D.C. They did try it in New York. They tried in Queens uh, about 10 years ago, and it didn't work out so well. Um, but, yes, that warm bowl, whether it's summer or winter, really helps me uh, reflect on how I love food so much, that one bowl. Where do you eat it here in Brooklyn? Um, I eat at Mama Fo. Uh, that would be the closest walking distance. But if I have the time, I will trek into the city right across the Waynesburg Bridge and eat at Grand Street Fo, mm. uh, where they give you limes and gives you things that kind of, and I think their beef broth is more like an oxtail kind of vibe, which is, reminds me more of what I normally eat in Philadelphia. But like every place would be slightly different. But nothing is like the, the Fo that I grew up on. Just very similar to the cheese sticks. Yep. Just you have your place and, and, and it's great. My place is located in a strip mall. So it's like, very DIY like you know one time I remember as a young kid we ate there for breakfast lunch and dinner one day and when we came back for dinner like the staff just laughed at us they were like really (laughs) a third time and it's out in like two minutes that's another good thing you don't have to wait it's like you know they're just sitting like some magical man is sitting back there just ladling it in and just like loving life yeah there's a there's a great uh, there's a great place and I forget the name of it in Providence and he's where is it? I, I actually, I don't know. My wife can tell you where it is because she's from Providence. But okay. every time we're up there visiting family, we always go there. You have to, yeah. And it's it 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 is. Uh, you're right. You can totally tailor it to your mood on yeah. any given day. You can order the exact same bowl, and then you can put whatever you want yeah. in it, and changes changes the dish for sure. Yeah. Um, well, we're we're just about out of time. Um, anything else coming up at Humboldt and Jackson you want people to know? But I know we have a little. I know you you unfortunately were taken down in the state. Yeah. In the, in the roaster be roasted. Yeah, we have a roaster be roasted night. contest. Uh, it's week two. I got beat. It's totally fine because I got beat by like a real chef, um, uh, which is pretty awesome. Um, but it's something that we started uh, just all, all out of a whim, just trash talking about 
you know who can who can roast the best meat um, and it's turned into something every Tuesday at 11 o'clock you can email Humboldt and Jackson to become a judge um, it's pretty cool because next week we're actually uh, your guys over at the Brooklyn Kitchen yep. uh, you're going to elect one of your, your Mike, main Mike Jennings cool be, uh, Mike be... Jennings will be taking on Sam Glenn who owns OTB Bar and Post Office Bar um, at 11 p.m. steaks will hit the table so if you want to be a judge we have we kind of figured last night 15 slices, so 15 All right. judges. All right. um, and we've had judges last night that were chefs from Moku Moku. We had chefs, uh, traveling chefs from all over the country who were in town last night who were like, what do you mean you're giving away steak for free? Yes, we're coming. <laughs> um, besides from that, I mean, you can check our events calendar on our on our um, email list, um, on our website, HumboldtJackson.com. And, um, you know, we have five or six things going down in August. One thing we're really excited about to work with, uh, Smart Beer. I don't know if you've heard of Smart Beer. No. They're New York's first organic beer. And uh, we're doing awesome. a karaoke event with them. And every time we have karaoke, it, my inner bill, the dancer, comes back to life. So we're looking forward to that event. And then uh, every month, one Sunday per month, we have an unlimited uh, brunch, fifteen ninety nine. It gets crazy. Packs in early. And it's a different chef every month doing their style of food that they want to cook for breakfast, not what they want to cook in their restaurant. So it really lends itself to their own heritages. Uh, last month was a chef from Philly who did like Taylor pork roll, scrapple, fried scrapple, and, and egg with, with Philly cream cheese in it. So, uh, yeah, just check the website, man. We're, we're all about changing things. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Bill, for coming on the show. Today. Yeah, thank you for having me, Harry. It's awesome. And thank everybody for listening today to Feast Your Ears. Big thank you to Kristen Baylor, who's my producer here, and Pierre Ben. Let me see if I get this right. Pierre Bienname. Nice. Who engineered the show for us today. You can find Feast Your Ears, as well as lots of other great shows, at heritageradionetwork.org and on iTunes. You can follow Bill on Instagram at Humboldt and Jackson, spelled out, and you can follow me on Instagram at The Foodballer. Talk to you next week. for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.